joining us this morning, maybe for one of the first times. We're in the middle of a study of Ezra and Nehemiah, talking about what does it mean to have a fresh start in life? Maybe you're at a place in life where you need a fresh start for something that's going on in, in your life. Maybe you're facing discouragement, uncertainty. God, what are you doing? Uh, the way we're tackling this is this pathway through discouragement, this what does a fresh start look like? Commitment to God's word. We talked about that last week. A life of prayer, a church of prayer. What does that mean? We're going to talk about that today. Next week, what does it look like to serve together, to be a part of God's work in the world, to be equipped for that? As God calls us into whatever he has in front of us that, that we're doing those things, today our focus is on prayer. What does it mean to be a person that prays? What does it mean to be a church that prays? At the end of the service, after the sermon, we're going to sing a final song that, that is a prayer in and of itself as we, as we declare that to the Lord. But I want you to know that during that final song, this is really important, during that final song, we're going to have people available in that landing area below the stadium seating back there, people up here at the front. If you need someone to pray with you, don't leave this room without missing that opportunity. We're going to have people spread around the room that are here. They have prayed about being able to pray for you. They want to pray for you no matter what you're doing. Maybe you're going through a transition in life. Maybe you have a decision you need to make. Maybe there's just something hard you're facing. Take advantage of this time. We're going to call you maybe to pray with family and friends around. We just want to make sure we don't just talk about prayer and then not pray. We want to incorporate prayer into everything we're doing in the service this morning. And so when I was thinking about God's word, prayer, serving the church, it didn't take long to get to my friend Bill Pickle. Uh, Bill's going to come up here, and he's going to read God's word for us a man whose life has been impacted in very profound ways in the last couple of years because of prayer, commitment to God's word. I just thought it would be great to have Bill reading for us. He's going to be reading from the New American Standard, uh, so it may look a little bit different than what you see on the screen or what you have in front of you. Would you follow along as we commit ourselves to God's word this morning? The book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month Kislev in the twentieth year, while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. Now it came about when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open to hear the prayer of thy servant, which I am praying before thee now, day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, thy servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which thou didst command thy servant Moses. Remember the word which thou didst command thy servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you 
who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there, and I will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. And they are thy servants and thy people whom thou didst redeem by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, may thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants who delight to revere thy name and make thy servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. So I was thinking this last week about prayer in church and, and what that looks like and the way we experience that. One of the things that came to mind is growing up in the little church I grew up in in southwest Oklahoma, and I know I've told many of you guys about this church family and how much it means to me, wood paneling on the wall, green carpet on the floor, just such a special group of people, and, and still to this day means so much to me. But one thing I remember in that church is just about every Sunday, one of the deacons would be called up to the front to pray when we would take up the offering. This was still when we passed the plates, pre-whatever <laughs> uh, uh, pre we have now with, with uh, pandemic and things like that. But before the offering was taken up, a deacon would come up to uh, the front and pray. And there was one deacon, every time he would come up to the front and pray, he would say, before I pray, just a moment of silence. And we would all sit there for a moment of silence. And as a kid, all I remembered is every time this guy came up at the front, he was going to say, before I pray, just a moment of silence. And I didn't pick it up at the time, but I think about that now and how important that is. Because when we think about prayer, if we're not careful, we just run first to I have all these words I'm going to spill out to the Lord. All these things I'm going to say to the Lord. And we miss one of the gifts of prayer which is simply just to slow our hearts down, focus our minds on the Lord, and hear his spirit speaking to us, his word speaking to us, to receive that in prayer. And so this morning, what we're gonna do is begin just with a little bit of time of silence. How important silence is, setting our hearts and minds on the Lord, how important that is in prayer. And I know, I know for those of you who have small children, Silence is a little bit scary, partly because you're like, oh, my kid's going to say something while, while we're doing this. That's okay. That's okay. And, and many of you at home, you would love to pray if you could find a silent moment. <laughs> you would love to do that. Don't forget, God's given us Paw Patrol and Cheetos. Um, so there's ways to create silence if, if needed for you to be able to, uh, to have that time of prayer at home. But, but whatever that looks like, whatever that looks like in your life, when we have times of silence, when we have times of prayer, here's what inevitably happens. Your mind just starts wondering a hundred different directions. <laughs> like you're like, I really do, Owen, I really do want to be devoted to the Lord, and I really do want to be praying, but my mind just goes everywhere. Can I encourage you in that? Don't, don't feel guilty in that. Don't feel condemned in that. Use that as a gift to pray. When your mind wanders somewhere, you know what that is? That's an opportunity to submit that to the Lord. That where your mind goes, knowing that something that is wearing on you, something that you're thinking about, don't feel guilty in that moment. Just submit it to the Lord. Lord, I, I need you to take this. I want to hear for you. I want to receive you. So if you would, as awkward as it might be this morning, would you just join me with your 
head bowed and eyes closed, just for a time of silence, just for a time to think, Lord, would you speak to my heart? Would you do something in my life Father, we know that we live lives where we are sometimes just so, so uncomfortable with, with silence. <laughs> A moment of silence can, can feel like ever if we're not careful um, because life moves so quickly. We show up to church and we sing songs and we do Bible study and we talk to one another and we never take time just to slow down and to focus our heart and mind on you. God, teach us the value of silence and coming before you in prayer to become comfortable with hearing your spirit speak through your word. God, help us to remember that not every moment of life needs to be filled with noise or us speaking or us doing something. There is so much value in just slowing down and remembering how good you are. And God, this morning, as we think about prayer, as we study about prayer, God, I pray that we would be in a continual state of prayer, just continually offering our lives up to you, desiring that you would do a work in our hearts and our church. So God, we submit this time to you. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we think about prayer, Nehemiah chapter one, verse one. Let's think about this together. The words of Nehemiah the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year that Nehemiah was in Susa in the palace or the citadel. You can see that the time frame we're talking about is 446 BC, 445 BC. There's a little bit of debate about exactly the timing here. Time frame in your mind of the Old Testament, uh, the people returned from exile around 539 BC. There's a lot of time that has passed between the time they've come back into the promised land and what's happening to Nehemiah. Nehemiah shows up pretty late in the game. There's a lot that's developed by this point when Nehemiah comes. But this is happening in around 446 or so BC. Verse two, at this time, Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And Nehemiah asked him concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, how's it going in Jerusalem? What does he say in verse 3? He said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Okay, don't miss the importance of, of verse 3 there. Don't miss what's happening. 
Nehemiah has been still in exile, still in Babylon all this time, and the people have been returning to exile, and he wants to report. <laughs> there's no social media, there's no news stations. He needs a report to come to him about what's going there. When he gets the report, what he finds is not good. He probably thinks, man, I wish you would not have told me the truth, but he gets the truth from his friend here, and he finds out that things are not going well in Jerusalem. There's a lot of shame, there's a lot of brokenness, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of difficulty that the people are facing, and one of the main problems is that the walls are broken down around the city. And if you know the story of Nehemiah from the Bible, what is Nehemiah's job going to be? It's going to be rebuilding those walls around the city, which should cause us to ask the question, why does that matter? Like, why does it matter that the walls are broken down around the city? Here's the reason it's, it matters. It goes back to the fact that the first thing that the people did when they came back from exile was they began to rebuild the temple that was in the middle of the city. And the temple we talked about was a display of God's glory and God's presence among his people. So right there at the middle of the, of the city is the temple, this idea of God's glory and God's power and his presence on display. What does it represent? to the nations around if there is no wall around Jerusalem. What it represents is that they are not taking highly God's glory. They, they are not desiring to preserve and display God's glory. They're not protecting it, there's no walls, they're, they're taking it lightly. When we study the book of Nehemiah, or we hear about the book of Nehemiah, oftentimes you hear Nehemiah presented as a leadership book. If you wanna be a great leader, Learn about Nehemiah. There's nothing wrong with that. But the point of the book of Nehemiah is whether or not the people are living for the glory of God. Whether or not the people are exalting the presence and the power and the glory of God to the world around them. And Nehemiah finds out that they're not doing that. The people are broken, they're in pain, and God's glory is not being exalted. And it is not a big leap from that to where we live, friends. To live in a world where people are hurting, people are broken, and God's glory is not particularly important to a lot of people around us. That those things are not treasured, they're not valued. So the question is, if you live in that world, if you live in that type of world of pain and brokenness and the glory of God not being displayed, what do you do? What happens in verse four? In verse four, Nehemiah says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. When Nehemiah hears this, he doesn't develop a campaign, he doesn't try to rally the troops, what does he do? He turns to the Lord in prayer. When you live in a world where people are hurting, when you live in a world where things are broken, when you live in a world where God's glory is not valued, what is our first response? That we would be a people who pray, that we would turn back to the Lord. If you're taking notes at this point in this verse, there are two reasons that we pray. Two reasons we pray in this verse. One is because of the brokenness in the world around us, and number two is because of how great our God is. The very beginning of verse four said, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept. Pretty much every day, 
pretty much every day, you're going to hear something that is going to reveal to you the brokenness of the world around you. A friend who's in pain, who's struggling, someone who's living in sin, going away from the Lord. If you need to hear brokenness and pain, and frankly we don't, but if you do, just turn on TV or open up social media, or it's gonna be all around you, the brokenness of the world. We pray because we realize things are not as they should be. But why else do we pray? The end of verse four says, he is praying before the God of heaven. We pray because there is a God in heaven who sees and cares and loves us. There's a God whose perspective in heaven is so much greater than we could ever imagine. There's a God of holiness and glory who is worthy of everything we have to give. So we pray because we realize that the world is broken, but we also pray because we realize how great our God is and our hearts are drawn toward him to know him and to worship him and to trust him. And so my desire, my desire, is that we would be people of prayer. When I think about Emmaus, and really let's just not even, we don't even talk about the church as a whole, like if I just take personal responsibility from a pastoral perspective, we are a church that is committed to the word of God, a strong commitment to the word of God. One thing I love about our preschool and kids Sunday school classes, those kids are not going to Sunday school to be entertained, they're going to learn the word of God. Like I love that about Emmaus, that we are so committed to that. We are a church that is known for serving our community. Man, we serve each other well. We do a good job of caring for people around us. The word of God is held high. We care for people around us. We have to ask the question, are we a church of prayer? Yes to the word of God, 100%, not backing down. Yes to serving one another. We're not gonna back away from that either. When people think about Emmaus, when you think about Emmaus, God make us a church that prays. Like if we're gonna be known for something, if we're gonna be something that we're doing for one another, what did Jesus say? Let, let this be a house of prayer for all nations, that people are gathered together to give prayer and praise to God. And we've had some good conversations as a staff. God's been doing this work in my heart personally. As we think about spiritual leadership, we can do the word of God, we need to, we can serve one another, we're not gonna stop doing that, but how do we infuse prayer into everything we're doing? And, and I'm not talking about having a bigger prayer ministry. This is not like one side ministry in the church. This is God, how do you infuse prayer in everything that we do as a church? That this is the bedrock of who we are, that it is so common. You can't get through the hallways out here because people are constantly praying for one another. That everything we do is bathed in a spirit of prayer. God, do this in our lives. And if you would, just for a moment, I want us to make that commitment to the Lord in prayer together. So we're gonna pray about this. No, the sermon's not over. We're probably a third of the way, hang tight. But our hearts are in the right place. God, make us a people of prayer. And then, after we have this time of prayer, we're gonna come back and ask, okay, I wanna pray, I really do, Owen. I want to pray, I want to be a church of prayer. How do we do that? So we're gonna get to the how question, but I wanna make sure our hearts are in the right place before we get to the how question. So again, would you bow your heads with me? We're gonna have a time of prayer just right where you are. Make it your prayer. God, make me a person of prayer. God, help it be the case in my life that when I hear about brokenness, the first place I turn is to you. God, thank you. God, thank you for Emmaus. God, thank you for what this church family means to me and to so many people. 
God, thank you for a church that is committed to your word. God, we want to preach your word. We want to teach your word. God, thank you for preschool and kids and teenagers who love to learn about the word of God. And God, thank you that we are a church that serves our community. Father, that we are known for that. We have a reputation for that. But God, we come before you right now recognizing that when revival happens in a church, prayer is at the core of that. God, help us to be careful. Help us to be careful that we're not doing these things in the community. We're not studying your word apart from true spiritual power. God, we need your power. God, we need you to do what only you can do. God, help us to be a church that prays for one another consistently, passionately. God, that in everything that we do, we're seeking your glory and your will. God, we want our hearts to be devoted to that. And God, we pray that you would teach us how to pray. Teach us what that looks like in our church. And so God, we commit our hearts to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. How do we pray? What do we learn from Nehemiah? It's so good to have examples about prayer. Verse five, what do you see very first in Nehemiah's prayer? And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Notice Nehemiah's prayer. Where does it begin? With With all of the brokenness and pain and needs down here? It doesn't begin there, does it? Where does it begin? It begins with God's greatness. Think about the way Jesus taught his disciples to pray in, in the New Testament. How does the Lord's Prayer begin? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Where does that prayer begin? It begins with God's holiness and greatness and glory. Think about Isaiah chapter 6. What drives Isaiah to prayer and confession in Isaiah chapter six? It's God's holiness and God's glory. One of the best models for prayer, not the only way to think about this, not the only way to approach it, but what we're gonna find in scripture this morning is the same model that we use when we talk about sharing the gospel or studying scripture, it's that three circles model. If you're ever confused about how to pray, You have five minutes, 10 minutes, God, I need to become a person of prayer. I want to devote this five or 10 minutes in prayer to you today. How do I do this? This particular approach, this model is found all over scripture and it's laid out. And you just begin up there in the top left, God's design, God, your glory, your holiness. God, I'm celebrating who you are. Thank you for those things that you've done in in my life that I didn't deserve. God, you are holy, you are good, you are loving. And, And you begin prayer right there. When we go away from God's design, that's called sin, and sin leads to brokenness, and our prayers are calling out to God in the middle of that brokenness. God, we need your mercy. God, we confess our sins before you. God, we repent. When we were praying this morning before the worship service began, one of the people in that prayer meeting, just God, drive us to repentance. God, drive us to confession. Help us to see the brokenness, not just in the world, but in our own lives, and that we would be burdened by that. And when that happens, we repent and we believe the message of the gospel, that our hope is not in getting our own lives together. Prayer is a reminder of God, we need your power, your strength, your salvation. The gospel is not that I have it all together, but God, I don't, and I need you to work in my life. 
God, help me to know how to live for your design. Kids, remember when you guys draw this out? Remember we can draw it with the shapes? Man, this is helpful. I hope this is an encouragement for you guys. Just draw an arrow pointing up in that first circle. God's design. I begin my prayer with my heart pointed up toward the Lord. When I go away from God, it leads to brokenness and pain and difficulty and all the things that we face. And we, we hand that to the Lord. God, you've got to take this brokenness. And all my hope comes back to the cross. God, thank you for Jesus. Think about what it looks like to pray that way. When, when we allow that to guide our prayers, this is the model prayer that Jesus gave us. This is Isaiah chapter 6. This is what we see all throughout Scripture. Look at the way it happens in Nehemiah chapter 1. When you go back to verse 6, he's praying to God, let your ear, God, be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. What is he doing? Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. And then in verse 8, there's something really interesting that happens in verse 8. In verse 8, he says, in prayer to God, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses. From this point through verse 10, Nehemiah is going to pray scripture back to the Lord. These are the words of God given in Deuteronomy, and he's going to use those words in praying back to the Lord. What do we learn from that? If you don't know what to pray, pray the word of God. <laughs> if you're stuck and you say, God, I just don't know what to pray. I don't know what to pray about. I don't know how to pray. God has given us his word in scripture, and you read the scripture, and you pray it back to the Lord. This is the word you've given us. God, remember your word. Be faithful to your word. I trust your word. Notice the middle of verse eight. What's he praying about here? He remembers what God said. If you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. Well, guess what? That's happened. But if you return to me in verse nine and keep my commandments and do them, even though you're scattered, I will gather you and bring you to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Remember, God, these people are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. What a great phrase. Delight to fear your name. Let that be true of us, that we delight to fear God's name and to give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, I was cupbearer to the king. What's driving Nehemiah's prayer here? Well, he has something that he needs dealt with here. He's gonna respond. Look what happens in chapter two. What does it mean that Nehemiah is cupbearer to the king? Chapter two, verse one. In the month of Nisan, I guess it's Nisan, Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I, Nehemiah, took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. One job that you cannot be moody at is when you're the cupbearer for the king. Like there's no moodiness allowed if you have this particular job because if you're the cupbearer and you taste the wine for the king to make sure it's not poisonous and you look sad, 
Not good. Uh, there were even regulations that said if you were sad in the presence of the king as the cupbearer, you could be sentenced to death because the king couldn't take a chance that his cupbearer was sad because something didn't taste right and he was going to get taken out. So no sadness. Put on your happy face at work if you have this particular job. Verse 2, the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing you're not sick? Right, you're not sick, right? Please don't be sick. This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid because Nehemiah's life is on the line at this point. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face, why, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and then said to the king. Now watch what's happened here. So Nehemiah, up to this point, has been calling out to the Lord for four months continuously, just calling out to the Lord about what he sees and the brokenness, the desire he has to see God's glory displayed. So he's doing this over and over and over again, and then finally he gets before the king where he can ask for the king's help. And it says, So I prayed to the God of heaven and said... There are times for long, dedicated times of prayer before the Lord. And then there's a type of prayer that's just ongoing, God, I need you in this moment. Uh, Amanda and I were talking about this yesterday, about this type of prayer that's just ongoing, God, I need you right now. I don't have time to take 10 minutes for prayer. Like, I've got to make a decision. I've got to say something at work. I've got to do something. She was talking about being in high school, running cross-country, and her ongoing prayer was, God, let me get to that next tree. Like, God, if I can just get to the next tree. Like, God, please let me get to the next tree. God, if you can get me to the next tree. Like, that would be really great as well. Like, we're just ongoing praying. We pray and then we speak. We pray and then we act. Prayer is a continual part of our lives. There are dedicated times of prayer set apart that we can spend time with the Lord. And then there's a type of prayer that is late at night when you thought your kid was in bed, turns out they're not in bed, they've come out in the hallway. You don't feel particularly prayerful at that moment, but like you're like, God, let me pray out, call out to you, how do I speak in this situation? What does he say here in verse five? He said, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, that's a nice little phrase there, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I ask, for the good hand of my God was upon me. What a great way to end that story. That Nehemiah has been calling out to God, asking for God to work in this situation, to display his glory, to provide what's needed, and the good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah knew what it was to experience God's presence and power in his life. As a church, as a church, we want to be able to say, God's presence is with us. 
God's power is at work. God's good hand is upon us. His glory is being magnified. His glory is being displayed to the world because we're living fully for him. That we would be a church, when you hear about brokenness, the first thing you do is not share it with other people, but you turn to the Lord in prayer. That we would be a church that when we come together before the service and after the service, that we're people of prayer. That we would be a church that when we think about gathering together in our small groups, we're gathering to pray with and for one another. That we're a church where our kids are learning to pray because they hear people praying. That we are praying over them. That we're a church that are praying in our workplaces and our homes where we live, learn, work, and play. Everything we do is about prayer. Friends, we don't need a prayer ministry. We need a prayer movement. We need the culture of our church to be driven by the power and the presence of God that we give ourselves to him in that way. And that's not anything that we can fake. That's the work of God in our hearts, transforming us from the inside out. We pray because of brokenness, and we pray because of the greatness of our God. How do we pray? We turn to him. God, you are good and holy and glorious. We confess our sins and call out to him for his help in the middle of our brokenness, and we remember that Jesus saves. That no matter what we've been through, no matter what we're facing, no matter what sin is in our lives, that we turn to him and we find that Jesus has taken that sin upon himself and he offers life eternally. If you are here this morning, hear me out, if you are here this morning and you are not a Christian, you've never trusted in Jesus for salvation, you've gone through the motions, you've been in church a lot because you were forced to be in church a lot, you've gone through this and you've never trusted in Jesus, the most important prayer you could ever pray, you can pray this morning, where you simply call out to the Lord, Lord, save me. I know because of my sin that I'm separated from you. I know that sin leads to death, and I deserve that. But I also believe that Jesus is Lord, that he took my sin. He rose from the dead to conquer death, and I trust in him. If you have never prayed that before, or maybe you prayed it years ago and you knew your heart was not right, you knew you'd just go through the motions, that today is the day of salvation. We're talking about prayer, but prayer drives us to remember the power of the gospel. Here in just a moment, I'm gonna pray over us. I'm gonna pray over us, and after I pray, we're gonna respond by praying. And th there's a couple of ways you can do that. Let me give you a couple of ways to do that. We don't wanna check out mentally, emotionally, stay, stay here. Here's a couple of ways you can respond. There are gonna be people scattered around the worship center who want to pray with you. If you're going through something today, maybe you have a life decision to make about, maybe, maybe there's something difficult going on, whatever it is, that you would respond and ask one of these people to pray with you. Maybe you know you need to become a Christian today. They would love to pray with you about that. The psalm that we're gonna sing is a prayer to the Lord. Just as you stand there and sing, we're calling out to the Lord with this prayer. We wanna do that together. Also, let me give you another way that you can respond during this time. Take advantage of the time to pray with your family members or friends that might be around you. Parents, if your kids are around you, if you've got friends around you, even as the worship team is singing this song, pray together right where you are. Don't leave this morning without having a chance to pray with your family and your friends. Maybe pray together for a couple of moments, and then you stand up and you sing this song. Whatever it is that God's doing in your life, 
we want to respond with faith and obedience this morning. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to pray together. Father, thank you for the story of Nehemiah, a story that we hear about, and we normally think about being a great leader or a great business person. God, thank you for the example that that is, that when we think about leading, there are many people here who are involved in business in different ways. How great is it that someone whose life was about business and leadership was known for prayer? God, let that be true of our church. God, we are committed to your word, and we never want to back away from serving our community and serving one another. But God, we admit that we are desperate for your power and your presence and your glory. God, help us to do a good job of praying with and for one another. And God, even in this moment as we respond, as people come for prayer, God, as you draw people to salvation, as families pray for one another, as we sing out this song of prayer, God, use this, God, use this morning to propel us forward this week to be a people of prayer. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.